Sangram here, super excited. On March 4th, we launched account-based marketing foundations course on LinkedIn in partnership with LinkedIn. There are 19 videos, four minutes and under. So literally in an hour, you can be account-based marketing certified if you have a LinkedIn account. So again, I don't need your email address or anything like that. You can literally go on LinkedIn. If you have a premium account, you can do it for free. If you don't have a premium account, then you can get a 30-day free subscription to that and they will let you take the course. And then you can put that certificate on your LinkedIn saying that you are account-based marketing certified. So good luck. Check it out. It's only going to last for 30 days. So I'm going to have this snippet run for the next few weeks and then it will be gone. So if you want to take this course for free, check it out, go. And this is going to make and change the way you do marketing in your organization. Because there's a lot of that customization, personalization that happens in the field is essentially the best practice for ABM. You're just trying to do it at a larger scale. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another episode of Takeover Podcast. Super, super pumped. Uh, Steve Ott, a very good friend of mine, has raised his hand and he said he was going to do uh, four different episodes on this idea of ABM for large and complex tech firms. And I want him to kind of share a little bit about his experience so far interviewing him and then also share who he plans to interview for the mega episode when it comes to ABM for large and complex tech Thanks, Sangram. Super excited to be here. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate the opportunity. I talk to a lot of people in ABM and in B2B marketing in general. And today, it's what I'm calling the analyst episode. And a couple of people that probably most or maybe all of the listeners already know. If you go to marketing conferences, if you read up on B2B, you know Matt Senator from Serious Decisions and you know Steve Casey from Forrester. These two are two of the absolute leaders in this space. And it was my absolute pleasure to sit down and speak with both of them. And we dug into a lot of topics. We, one was around how do top performing ABM organizations differ from their peers? What do they actually do that's different? We also talked a lot about pilots. I mean, everyone says, oh, you got to start with a pilot, run a pilot. And then they, they kind of leave it at that. But Specifically, how do you plan it? What are your objectives? What are your metrics? How do you know when you're winning? And then what naturally follows a successful pilot is scaling. So we talked about how do you scale? And in particular, how do you scale within a large, complex enterprise? So it's my absolute pleasure to sit down and have this conversation with Matt and Steve. That's awesome, man. So one, I'm a big fan of both Matt and Steve. Matt has spoken at every one of the Flip Mafner conferences from day one. So nine conferences and he or Megan, one of them has spoken at every single conference and, and Steve was literally in the office at the Terminus office a couple of weeks ago. So it, it's, it's been really cool. So I can't wait to hear their 
together because I don't think it has happened ever before. You're the first person who's able to get Matt and Steve together on one common episode. So uh, I, I can't wait to dig in and, and hear all the wisdom they share. So again, uh, on behalf of the community, Steve, thank you so much for taking over the series. And for anybody who's listening who wants to do a similar series, either on ABM, it, it could be about marketing leadership or sales or just life or, or things that kind of keeps you up or excited about, hit me up. You can hit me up on the podcast or on LinkedIn or Twitter and we can get it going. So without further ado, the episode in the series of ABM for large and complex tech firms with Matt Senator, Steve Casey, hosted by Steve Ott. Thank you so much. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to Flip My Funnel for a very special episode with two true leaders in the space of ABM. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Matt Senator, Service Director, Account-Based Marketing at Serious Decisions, and Steve Casey, Principal Analyst, B2B Marketing at Forrester. Gentlemen, welcome, and thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much, Steve. It's Matt, and look forward to the conversation today. Steve here. Glad to be here as well. Well, you two speak at all kinds of conferences. You create all kinds of true thought leadership content. And I know that we're going to have a great conversation today. And I know I'm going to learn lots from you. And I'm sure that our listeners will as well. So how about we jump right in first by you telling the audience, those who don't know you guys, a little bit about what you do, what your organizations do. You want to start, uh, start us off, Steve? Sure. Happy to do it. So you're probably familiar with Forrester Research, one of the leaders in the industry. I'm part of the B2B marketing team, as you said, Steve. My remit in terms of my research is I tend to think in two ways. One from sort of thematic standpoint, that's focused on buyer behavior, how that's changing, what marketers need to do to adapt to their new modern B2B buyers. And from a technology standpoint, most of us on our Forrester Research teams have a technology area that we focus on. And one of mine is account-based marketing. So I published one of the first evaluative pieces of research in the industry on ABM platforms last year. Continue to work in that area and then consult with clients on a daily basis to help them build out their ABM programs. Fantastic. Matt? Yeah, glad to uh, share a brief background. So my job is the uh, to lead the account-based marketing service at Serious Decisions. Like Forrester, we are a research and advisory company, and we're actually really excited. For those that might not have heard, Forrester has recently acquired Serious Decisions. So we are going to be partnering uh, even more closely in the coming months and, and future years to serve our B2B and our B2C audience. Uh, but my job as the leader of the service, we've got a team of analysts that are responsible for developing um, research that's going to help our clients adopt or operationalize or, or optimize their account-based marketing programs. So determining what is really relevant to help them think about how to build better alignment, how to develop uh, award-winning programs, understanding the technology and insight and data implications that's going to fuel their ABM, thinking through their program design and their team design and their, their competencies and skills and also really thinking about measurement. So it's all ABM all the time for us, and we go really deep and really wide. Fantastic. Now, I think we are well past the time when we need to talk about what ABM is or why people need to be doing ABM, because 
Anyone listening to this podcast probably already knows that and is probably in many cases already performing some ABM at some level. I think the most interesting thing is how we really go from good to great, how we scale and how we really as individuals and as practitioners or leaders within our firms, how we get really, really great at ABM. And I know you guys do some research and some writing around what high-performing ABM organizations do differently from their peers. And I'd, I'd be really interested in starting there. Hi, Steve. It's, it's Matt Sanator. Let me jump in on this one if I can first. And, and I'm glad you actually brought this up because presentation that we are preparing for at our upcoming summit, our, our Serious Decision Summit in May, is exactly around this topic, which is what high-performing ABM companies do differently than their, than their peers that are doing ABM but not yet quite having the same results that, that the others are seeing. And I'm not going to give away too much because I don't want to spoil the surprise for, for the attendees, but there's really a couple things I will point out. And the first is that the high-performing companies absolutely make a real concerted commitment towards ABM. And that's not just lip service. They have organizational support, executive leadership support from both a sales and a marketing side. They are also more likely to have a higher budget, 70% actually of higher budgets than their low performing peers. So they're investing not only with the leadership lens, some dollars, but they also have a dedicated account-based marketing leader to run the program, to help shepherd the adoption and implementation and orchestration of account-based, which can be really important in a, in a new go-to-market where they haven't typically embraced ABM. That's one big area that we see high performers do differently than others. Um, another one is that they're certainly much more committed to customizing the messaging and customizing the content to really meet the unique buying needs of, of the groups that they're going after in their target accounts. 30% of high performers are more likely to uh, customize content and messaging. And then lastly, the third big thing that I'd say for now is they are certainly much more likely to adopt new and emerging technologies. 50% of high performers are more likely to have an investment roadmap that looks at some of these emerging technologies, things like intense monitoring, things like display advertising and retargeting and web personalization. So those are three big areas that high performers do differently. I guess the only thing I'd add, Steve, is maybe just a little bit of color around this notion of, and I think um, enterprise, large, or let's say marketers working in large enterprises. Certainly what we've seen at Forrester is among the range of companies experimenting or perhaps past that stage now uh, with fully developed programs. I wouldn't quite, I wouldn't quite call them uh, mature yet because most people are around about at the two, maybe three year experience point. But what we've seen in working with some of the marketers at larger enterprises is that that sort of innate account orientation that they bring to the table really serves them well because they're familiar with working with a set of named accounts. There's typically some, some alignment, uh, even dedicated uh, marketing support for those named accounts, platinum accounts, whatever you want to call them. And they frequently learn from the experience of some of those dedicated resources, even tapping into marketers who might be in a field marketing function, because there's a lot of that customization, personalization that happens in the field is essentially the best practice for ABM. You're just trying to do it at a larger scale. These top performing organizations, as they scale ABM, 
are they consolidating it in some sort of center of excellence or some sort of ABM mission control? Or is it growing more organically in, in each different line of business or each different geographic region? Or is there no pattern there? Is it, is it you know, the best firms do it in a variety of different ways? Yeah, well, what, what we're seeing at Serious Decisions is a little bit of both those scenarios, right? So companies adopting it in a geo-based and they're kind of running different programs, but also uh, companies emerging to form some COEs. And let me give you a little bit more color uh, to illustrate exactly what I'm talking about. I'd say as companies are starting out, they're often beginning to develop pilot programs in a specific geo. Um, and that, could be ha- that can be happening concurrently with other geos as well. So we'll work with an organization that might be working on a pilot in North America, but also looking at something in, in APJ. And what inevitably what happens is through conversations, they begin to talk about what's working and what's not working in their respective geos. And they share some learnings and best practices. And as companies begin to mature and evolve their programs, and, and over time, there's the notion that there are some really good things happening and we want to drive some efficiency and some scalability. So how do we do that? And so we're working with a lot of clients on that next step, on the next evolution, which is let's, let's establish something more concrete like a center of excellence or a program office that actually establishes some structure and some governance and, 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 and a way to determine specific geographical requirements and then the development of infrastructure and a shared service to help support that. So, for example, there can be a dedicated process set up for selecting the right accounts or for developing actual program plans or for a measurement uh, dashboard that's being developed and, and furnished out of center of excellence. But different regions can utilize those best practices, but still have some flexibility to allow for any regional nuances that are specific to their markets. I'd agree with everything Matt said. What I think I might add is some some data from a survey we did last year. And specifically to your point, Steve, about setting up a center of excellence, what our survey showed, and this was across a wide range of companies, but considered uh, included a, a large number of companies, roughly 20% or at a billion dollars or more in terms of revenue. It's about 16% of the companies who responded said they had set up a separate and distinct uh, tiger team, as we called it, or kind of a center of excellence. More than 50% of the companies said they have dedicated marketing and program dollars. And about a quarter of the companies, 22%, said they actually have dedicated headcount associated with ABM. And I, I think this is normal and logical, right? This is, these are, for many organizations, these are kind of new muscles, right, that they need to exercise. But I think in the long term, we'll come to realize and recognize that, uh, as we all know, uh, intrinsically, ABM is just good B2B marketing. So while I, I really see this as kind of an interim step, but eventually this will just promulgate itself throughout the larger organization and will have less and less need for sort of a separate structure for, to uh, handle ABM. Regarding those roles, a few years ago, you could look on LinkedIn and you were hard-pressed to find anybody with account-based marketing in their title. Now there's quite a few, and there's a lot of jobs posted for specific ABM roles. Do you, do you think that, I mean, is that, is that a huge career growth area for people? Is it, you know, this is how you accelerate your career as a marketer is you go after those ABM specific roles because they're they're growing fast, or 
to sort of pick up on what you just said a moment ago, are, are, is it just, is ABM just the sort of the future of smart B2B marketing? And five years from now, there probably really aren't going to be any or too many more ABM specific roles because all B2B marketing will be account centric. I'd agree with that and not to kind of steal our thunder, but another uh, presentation at the upcoming Serious Decision Summit is one focused on the future of ABM. That's one where I'll actually be partnering with Matt. I'm really happy to be on stage with him and Bob Peterson as well, part of Matt's team. And we'll be talking about exactly that. And we're in complete agreement with the last point you made, that eventually most organizations will recognize that ABM is, or you know, all B2B marketing is account-based. But to your point about the near term right now, I think what employers are looking for, and this relates to the technology discussion, they're looking for a facility with tools, right? Because in many cases, there are new and different tools that people are using to accomplish uh, their and build out their uh, AVM programs today. So I think that's part of what they're looking for. Someone who can come in with the skills, with the orientation, but then also with the specific tools expertise to drive a program. Yeah, I, I, I love it. And, and I, I definitely agree, Steve Watt, with how you teed it up in terms of the long-term prognostication of, of what ABM is. And as Steve Casey said, yeah, I mean, the term should just go away. It's just going to be good B2B marketing. What I'd say in terms of my add to the skills conversation, in addition to those that are really good at the data science side and understanding patterns and recognition, and, and, uh, um, uh, and by the way, I could even see that you know, part of a RevOps capability, a RevOps function, you know, handling pieces of this. But for those that are focusing on those very large strategic accounts, that one-to-one marketing, the skill set for that marketer needs to be different. And that needs to be someone that is not going to, that's not going to always acquiesce just to what sales wants or needs, but really understanding that within the context of the account, what are we trying to accomplish and more of a partner with sales to ask the hard questions, to challenge the thinking, and to, to, to really be a partner to help drive opportunities and drive growth with those accounts. They have to be you know, a, a mini CMO thinking, is this a uh, uh, insight gathering exercise? Is this a top of funnel kind of uh, reputation support program am I developing? Is this account really further downstream and I need to be developing a lot of sales enablement material, sales close? They need to be thinking holistically, strategically, and really have their fair seat at the table. And, and that's a very different skill set than, than um, someone that's just typically looking at who might be in market and develop programs against them. That, that whole piece around how you build that credibility with sales, I think is, is so critical. I spoke with one leader in a, in a huge company recently. and He said that the sales teams actually have to pay for ABM support. And he stands by his belief that that's a really smart way to do it. And it's not just about budgeting. It's, it's about co-ownership and the idea that when an account team tasked with landing or growing a huge account actually spends some of their sales budget on account-based marketing services, that then they, it creates a, a, a partnership mentality on both sides and works really well. Whereas when it's more just a totally separate marketing function, as well as all the people get along and collaborate, 
he really feels there's something about this idea of paid services internally. I hadn't heard that from anyone else. Have, have you seen that kind of model and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, we, we've absolutely seen that where sales, in order for them to get the level of support, there is a requirement, not only of the collaboration and planning, uh, but also of funding. And I would say we see that typically more in a large deal pursuit motion with account base. Um, so for example, if there are a small number of, of highly uh, contestable deals and they want marketing support, maybe there's an RP or something along those lines, they will actually be forced, or, or not be forced, but, but, but be asked to actually put dollars against it. I would say I see it less so in other types of ABM programs. What I often find is that if we worked with a client that went through a, a large account planning process where they had 15 accounts globally they were doing ABM with, and they had to essentially, marketing and sales have to understand the opportunity, and they had to develop a program, a robust program plan on the channel that would deliver against the sales objectives. They presented those back to their steering committee and their executive leadership, and those teams actually funded those 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 programs or those specific accounts with more money that was on top of what was originally budgeted. So that was kind of a nice to have. Uh, the, the last thing I'd say is if they're not going to fund with dollars, the other thing that I see marketers say is at worst, you have to have sales account plans. I need to understand what we're trying to do with this account or with these groups of accounts. And if we don't have that level of knowledge, then it's, then you haven't certainly invested enough in that thinking and we're not going to work on things that, that, are, that you haven't kind of thought through. So not dollars, but, but essentially mind share of that account. Do you see what do you see? I think it's parallel and it's actually consistent with where we started, right? This notion of kind of the maturation of the process, right? Where there's lots of alignment in the beginning around the account selection piece, but to truly scale the program, you need to extend that alignment further into the process. And it, it, it takes place at exactly the level you're talking about, actually building out the next step, building out that account plan. Sometimes sales teams are a little reluctant to have marketing get involved in their most important accounts. There's a perhaps a fear that messaging could be off or, or something could derail a huge deal that they've been working on for a long time. Beyond just obviously collaborating on account plans and everything. I, is, is this still a problem in organizations that are good at ABM? Do, do they still sometimes deal with sales teams wanting to block out their best accounts or have they crossed that bridge and, and everybody truly is operating as one team? What I'd say is that it still is a, a common occurrence I'd say we're seeing less of that because of the widespread news around the benefits of account-based marketing that are permeating B2B. So where those do persist, what I would say is there will be some account managers or account directors that, that are progressive, that do want that level of, of support and that do want to partner and are willing to collaborate with you. We don't need to get every salesperson on board. We need to get one on board as a starting point. And so... Um, inevitably, you know, what I often see is for those organizations that might be reluctant, there's probably a third to half of the sales leaders that just are saying, don't touch my accounts. Maybe there's a third that are saying, hey, I don't know, show me first, but you will have definitely a few that want to partner. And so when companies can at least start small and identify one or two sales leaders that it, make, it might make sense with and go from there, 
and begin to understand the types of benefits and what they're going to be doing and what they're going to be doing differently to help support the, the development of programs and messaging and, and, and assets and content um, that's going to resonate to help support those specific sales objectives, they typically get the benefit and they understand the benefit. And what I'd say, the other thing is, that's the point where you start to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do, but here's how we have to work together. And here's what I'm going to need from you. So it's almost like you're putting together a, like a give to get contract. I'm going to work with you to do these things. And this is the benefit, but I'm going to need this type of support from you. Do we have your support? Right. And so that's why I see companies overcome that. Yeah. The only thing I'd add is we're still, uh, I find that as an organization, we're still in evangelist mode, promoting this notion of the, you know, kind of putting to rest the the notion of the relay race hard handoff between marketing and sales and sales giving marketing the Heisman. It's it's a tough one to overcome. You need, the only way you can do that is, I think, in the way Matt described, where you can prove it out, prove the value, because too many sales reps have been burned over time. And it's a, you know, so that's kind of where the motivation comes from or the, the lack of buy-in. But uh, so pilot projects where you can help prove out the value uh, and and uh, create some evangelists within your own organization is the way to go. Where are you guys seeing the biggest wins from EPM? Is it Greenfield logo acquisition? Is it some sort of funnel acceleration or pursuit marketing? Is it share of wallet expansion with existing customers or or is it something else? Yes. Yes is a short answer. So what I'd say is, I, I, you know, a lot of companies, well, what's interesting is probably... I don't know, 10 years ago, people were doing ABM. 15 years ago, people were doing ABM, not really calling it ABM. And it was a focus on those very large strategic accounts, much more manual. And it was really often about growth. What I'd say is today, people are, are utilizing an ABM approach that solves for all of those. I can use it to help go after a targeted set of net new accounts and do it much more strategically, identifying the right types of accounts that may, might make sense. Identifying who's in market and developing, you know, understanding what they care about and developing programs. I could be using it to upsell more of the same solution or new uh, complementary solutions to an existing buying center. I'm, I'm seeing companies use it to help identify new opportunities in different buying centers where sales has no presence, which is a little bit like a net new, but not as hard because you've got some parts of the business. Uh, and I think the future is taking an account-based approach also for the post-sale customer experience and ensuring that we are delivering an effective, relevant, engaging experience in a truly customized fashion. So I think we're seeing it really across all of them. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think in our journey with our clients, uh, our advice from the beginning was to not necessarily consider ABM a silver bullet and attack those accounts that you've never been able to land previously, but instead to really kind of pick the low-hanging fruit, right? And that typically was install-based because you had uh, the best source of insights, you had the most accurate data, and you could do the best job in terms of creating the personalized experiences that are core to, to ABM. So what our data shows, therefore, is that uh, in that survey I referenced earlier, 72% of the respondents said that the, where they're seeing the most value is in cross-sell and, and upsell. And uh, nearly 60% of the marketers said they're seeing per-account revenue increases, which is gratifying because, frankly, if you weren't seeing those uh, positive results in those two areas, then, boy, you're doing something wrong, right? So happy to see that. I love that, Steve, and I think that's a great data point to support that. 
the one piece of advice I'd say is for companies that are starting out and you're thinking about a pilot program, so many times I see someone, uh, they, they reach out to me and they say, hey, listen, we're going to do a pilot program. We're going to do 25 accounts and sales through them over the fence. And when I understand more about them, they're all greenfield. They're people that they've never been able to have any traction with and they're firmly entrenched with competitors. And that's, you know, that's not, that, that's not setting us up for success. That's having that sales saying marketing, go do, you know, go try and make a miracle happen because we haven't had success here. And where I'm going with this is that when we're developing or working with a client to develop a pilot program, it's okay to have a couple of those that are really green fields where you haven't had any traction. But you should also have some, maybe some green fields where you have had some engagement. Maybe they're not as firmly entrenched with competition and there's a better chance. But you should also have maybe an existing customer that you're looking for upsell or cross-sell. So when you pull together a pilot, you're going to have a little bit of different types of strategic goals and different, you're going to be developing different programs and have different measurement. This way you can get a sense of what's working across each of these different uh, programs that you're running. That's really interesting. I would have thought that in those early pilot days, it would be much more manageable to have one goal, whatever it is, whether it is new logo acquisition or it's share of wallet expansion or it's accelerating your deal cycle or whatever it is. But if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying it's okay in those early days to actually pilot in a few different ways with, 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 a few, with different groups of accounts with different objectives. In concept, yes. I think at the end of the day, if you've got a little bit of resource and budget and, and focus, you certainly can do that. I, you know, if you've got really limited resources, I would have to assess that. And then it might be, let's start with one, but know that on the heels of this, 60 days after, we want to run a concurrent pilot or a pilot starting 60 days after, and it's going to be a different strategy, different objectives, and different measures. See, the reason I say that is, if we go out there and we say, we're going to focus on net new logo, completely greenfield, 10 accounts, no traction. If I have nothing going on in 100 days or 120 days, I don't want the entirety of my program to be killed because I've had no result. At the same time, if I've got something that's, hey, I want you to help accelerate 10 deals in pipeline that might be stuck and we're going to run a program that's deal acceleration and we have overwhelming success, you know, and now we're going to expand to more accounts that are in a different scenario. Well, we can't necessarily equate those successes to very different strategies. So that's why you've got to test different uh, programs and different strategies to really understand what works and what doesn't work within the confines of that, of that program element. I, I concur completely. And that's exactly what I meant when I said, don't view this as a silver bullet. And, and Matt, you described exactly that scenario I had in mind where sales just throws mm-hmm. over all these accounts that we've never been able to make any progress with previously, that's a recipe for disaster. The few times, I will say broadly, the clients I've worked with, I haven't seen a lot of backlash, but where I have and where I've seen failed programs, it's been when they started in that format. They started in that process because unless you build momentum, these are new muscles, right? You're trying new things. You have new data sources. You may have new tools. If you fail, if 100 days out and you have no progress, then you may never get a second bite at the apple. What are some of the other big mistakes that you see happening? I wouldn't characterize them necessarily as mistakes, but where I see people struggle is scale, is beyond the pilot out to, so if you think of sort of, you know, ICP and TAM, right? So we've got a pilot, got 10, 20, 50 accounts, maybe that's pretty aggressive, but when you get out to hundreds and thousands, that's tough, right? And 
So scaling primarily on the content dimension is a huge challenge and deciding and, and uh, um, uh, achieving the appropriate level of, uh, of personalization is, is difficult. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. Um, what I'd add too is where we see companies often have to go back is where they don't spend enough time upfront setting the right objectives and setting the right strategy. And unfortunately, it's not clear what success looks like. And so they've got kind of mis- mismatched expectations. So ensuring that you've got the, the strategy uh, and the goals articulated up front and the organization aligns to that, and we've got executive or leadership support supporting uh, and pushing that down. Definitely one. Um, I think ongoing communication is absolutely critical. I mean, it's essentially for change management, especially, you know, Steve keeps talking about new muscle, and that's exactly what it is. And that means we've got to communicate what we're doing, what we're doing differently, what's working, what's not working, where we're going next why we're going there, why these accounts, not these accounts, et cetera. So that ongoing communication throughout the entirety of your develop, not only the development of the programs, but as you're running them and as you're modifying, et cetera. And I'd say the last thing is we need to see companies do a much better job of focusing on measuring the results of the programs and the overall impact it's having on the business. High-performing companies are doing that, but, but not enough companies are doing that. Who's doing a great job? Oh gosh, there's there's quite a quite a bit. And the nice thing I'd say is you've got this flip my funnel podcast, right? There's probably 300 or so. So many of those are leading ABM practitioners, uh, and but you can go anywhere and do a Google search on ABM best practices and see lots of clients. But you know what I'll tell you is some of the clients that I've been fortunate to work with that are doing really great jobs. Um, the you know one that comes to mind is National Instruments, and National Instruments was recognized as the Serious Decisions Account Based Marketing Program of the Year award winner a couple of years ago, and then the following year they won the Flip My Funnel Best Overall ABM Program, and that's a fairly advanced one now. They we've been working with them for about five years, but they have they've got about ten global marketers doing ABM, EMEA, US based, and APAC based, and uh, and it started out really. Uh, on large strategic accounts, and it was about identifying new opportunities within those. So marketing was doing a lot of intelligence gathering and identifying where there might be some new opportunities, creating some programs and some messaging and setting up appointments, actually, and and working with sales to get in and promote what NI could do to help support these accounts with the goals that they identified. And they were able to source a lot of new revenue as a result of their ABM efforts, which in the short term, created a lot of buzz, and I actually won a bunch of sales awards. That marketing team won a bunch of sales awards at their, uh, at, at their global kickoff, um, and it's continued to uh, expand to other regions and, and more accounts are going more at scale. So really, really great program. And the one thing that I love about that is they have such a concerted focus on the development of the team and the culture of ABM there at National Instruments. They do an extensive amount of certification and training uh, and sharing of best practices. And they're in the process of establishing this center of excellence to really continue to promote that as they look to do even more great things. So that's, that's one off the top of my head. I'll give, you, I'll give you another one. That's a slightly different program. Uh, another program of the year award winner at last year's summit was Maysergy. And Maysergy's program started out, they used to sell through channel partners, and then they essentially took on a new motion, which was direct selling, and they were a lead-driven organization. And what we often see in, in those scenarios, you know, sales saying, hey, leads are crap, and marketing saying you're not doing anything with the leads, they had the typical marketing sales 
conundrum. And so they, they shifted and switched to an account-based model. So their leader there, Malachi Threadgill, what he's been doing is he's really taking a, a very data-driven approach to identify a bunch of the accounts that are the right fit for them for their solutions. And so they've got a couple thousand accounts that they're narrowing down for tier one and tier two. They're, they're using technology to, as I said, to determine the ideal fit and the right solution. They're looking at intent data to see who might be in the market and what they care about. And they're actually developing scalable ABM programs for accounts in these clusters that are around different industries and different needs tied to different solutions. And they've got uh, an advanced account development rep or BDR function that's supporting the tier ones and the tier twos to really help not only get these, get these accounts in funnel, but also to continue to support them as they nurture down to a handoff to sales. And so they have really tremendous results. So very different flavor, but also a great program. What's next? What does the future of ABM look like? Not surprisingly, I think you'll see AI as it shows up in more and more of the MarTech stack. The impact that I think it'll have on ABM as it starts to be incorporated in more of the solutions that we use to engage with our target accounts is in enabling some of that personalization at scale. And really starting to optimize and automate some of those next best step, right? Next best step in the journey decisions to maybe remove from some of that political battle, right? Who gets to engage or who should engage next? Should it be marketing? Should it be sales? But we can learn over time and maybe make a prediction about where the next engagement point should happen. And then I think the final thing I'm seeing, at least, is a lot of the vendors are focused on really taking ABM down a level to kind of the opportunity or deal level, where you're aggregating engagement data, you're aggregating insights really at that opportunity or buying center level, which I think is the level we ultimately need to get to to be uh, most efficient in terms of everything we're doing. Because certainly, if you're selling to large enterprises, you could have five, 10, you get a dozen different opportunities, right? So if you're not tracking them at the opportunity level, you're just not being as efficient as you can be. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Steve Casey from Forrester, Matt Senator from Serious Decisions, two true leaders in this space. I've had a great time talking with you. I've learned so much. I hope all the listeners have as well. We greatly appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Steve. And thanks, Flip My Funnel, for having us on today. Yes. Thank you, Steve. And great to connect with you again, Matt. All right. Fantastic, guys. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.